Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. It seems like only yesterday that the word selfie suddenly sprang on the scene. And and all of a sudden we saw it everywhere and wondered if it was going to stick around. Mm -hmm. And of course it is. Right. It's got great staying power and it's spawning other words like droney. Droney, this is a picture you take of yourself with a drone? Exactly. Uh, I've also seen healthy, which is a a self-portrait of your hair, and belfy, which is (laughs) one of your butt. But I don't think that those have staying power. But one that I came across recently that you've probably seen as well, too, Grant, is um, selfie stick. Oh, yeah. These are all over Asia. This was one of my big words for 2014, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Selfie stick, Mm -hmm. which is also called a monopod. Ooh, nice. You've seen that? It's it's one of these... uh, telescoping sticks that you use to hold out your phone so that you can take a better selfie of yourself right and you get more else. of the background right yes yes and these are all over asia in fact south korea is starting to regulate them because they operate with a bluetooth system and there's some of them that they are afraid will jam medical devices a selfie stick i think that's going to stick at least at least until we figure out a better way to take long distance shots of ourselves i think so too and i don't yeah. have any problems with selfie either i know that was the Word of the year for some dictionary makers yeah, in, in yeah. 2013, I believe. Yeah. But it's a it's a great useful word. It's got a lot of purpose and it kind of mm-hmm. reflects the spirit of the age. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I was afraid that it might just be a flash in the pan, but I don't think so. What's the word or language that you've heard or invented yourself that you're sure is going to have staying power that you want to share with us and all of our listeners? Let us know. 877-929-9673 or tell us all about it in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, who's this? This is Barb from San Diego. Hi, Barb. Welcome to the show. How can we help you? Thank you. Um, uh, An expression that my great aunt used to use frequently, and it was, son of a who cut your hair last? A who a what? Can we say that on the radio? Son of a who? Son of a who? Son of a who cut your hair last. Sounds naughty. Is it? (laughs) No, it just means son of a gun. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she would also say, you're full of old shoes. Full of old old shoes. Nice. That's good. (laughs) I've never heard that. Son of a who cut your hair last is really clever. It kind of avoids being completely offensive, but also adds another insult because it indicates you have a bad haircut. (laughs) That's true. Or somebody did, yeah, somebody did a very bad job cutting your hair. She also used to say, you're full of what makes the grass grow. Um, You're full of what makes the grass grow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or fish fertilizer. You ever smelled those piles of fish fertilizer? Oh, yeah. Terrible. Yeah. (laughs) She sounds like a colorful, opinionated. Person, she was. She truly was, and it was all delivered with a severe Boston accent. 
Ah, okay. So who yeah. cut your and hair last? Yeah, your hair. Your hair last. <laughs> and I was, I was, oh, Barbara, Barbara, you're full of hoops. You know, you're, you're, full, of, you're full of old shoes. Nice. You're full of what makes the grass grow. <laughs> There's this old comedy play from the 1850s, um, kind of thing they would do on stage vaudeville sort of stuff where it's this whole routine where this guy comes into this barber shop and the barber doesn't remember him and the barber says who cut your hair last and the guy's mm. like you did and anyway i don't know if it's related but i thought it was worth mentioning oh, here. maybe maybe yeah oh that's so funny yeah she was very colorful you, you always she also told me when i became a teenager i should always stick some mad money in my budge just in case my fella got mad on me. Your budge? Um, What's your, is it your... I know, mad money. That's if you get mad on the date, right? And is you your budge leave. Your, your bosom or your, your yeah, pocketbook? Yeah, you stick it... Yeah, she never wore a bra, so she just stuck it in her budge. Just, I guess oh, she stuck okay, it in her gotcha. Whatever, oh, yeah. I would have guessed stick, budge was a purse. Okay. No, no, she told me it was in your budge, just in case, <laughs> you know. Your fella got mad on you, you got mad on your fella. I, she sounds it. like something out of an old movie, I'm telling you. <laughs> She sounds like a script written just to, like, wow the crowds. Yeah. That's amazing. Barbara, thank you so much for sharing these stories and your memories. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for, thank you for allowing me to. <laughs> All right. Take care now. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 We know you have a bunch of colorful talkers in your family. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or tell us all about it in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm calling from Grand Prairie, Texas. Hi, Hi Jessica. Jessica. What can we help you with today? Okay. Um, I have several family members and a very good friend's uh, husband who are in law enforcement. And we were listening to the show uh, about three months ago and talking, and it, it came up, why do people call cops pigs? Okay. Well, I have some answers for you. We know where it came from, and we know when it came from, and have a really strong reason about why it came from those places. So it's originally British. It okay. came from underground criminal slang as early as 1800. Cool. And it's directly connected to the idea of pigs as disgusting creatures who take more than their share. The idea is that the cops weren't as likely to help you as they were just to steal your goods that you were trying to sell or to, to take your, your illicit gains for themselves or to just take your wallet or your purse and, and run away with it. So this was a different time. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's lasted ever since. Now, the pig, to mean cop or police officer, has ebbed and flowed in its popularity over the centuries with a big rise in the 1960s and 1970s, mm-hmm. particularly among mm-hmm. the counterculture here in the United States. Mm-hmm. But it's still used today. As a matter of fact, when I survey high school students here in San Diego about the slang that they use, they still use pig to refer to police officers. Oh, and they? they actually think of it as theirs. They don't even really know. That oh, it's, really? Yeah, they don't know that, it's got, they don't know that it's got a 200-year history at all. Yeah. Yeah, so well, that's... that's it. It's as simple as that. Pigs is a disgusting creature. Transfer. I mean, and pig in this way has been used for almost always in a negative way to refer uh-huh. to other people who are detestable or disgusting. Considering some of the books I've read, um, well, fiction I've read, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's an interesting word. Uh, You know, my father was a police officer for a long time. When I was a boy, he told me, and I remember this clearly, that he thought the word cop was offensive. And he did not like for him and his officers, because he was a police chief in a small town at that time, Mm -hmm. to be referred to as cops. Really? They were police or police officers. That was it. And I I still to this day don't know. I should ask him. I still don't know why he didn't like it. 
And, and I've talked to other police since who have never, they don't feel that way. But huh. he, for him, cop was a problem. But pig has, has persisted. And it's still offensive. Yeah. And any, uh-huh. any cop is going to get angry if you call them, if you call them a pig yeah. today. Any yeah. person is. Any, well, well yeah. there, I should tell you both. That, uh, there was one case in history where pig was used in a positive way. It was mm-hmm. a term of affection for a pretty lady. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I've heard of pig's knee, like like a shortening of pig's eye. Because pink and smooth and, you know, just you know, bouncing and kind of plump. I can see pig kind of yeah, working. Yeah, go ahead and try that. See, <laughs> let us know how that's working out for you, okay? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if I have to sleep in the car, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jessica, this was fun. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Take care I now. I appreciate you letting me be on the show. Oh, Have a our wonderful pleasure. week. You, come ba- you call you. us again sometime, all right? Okay. Take care now. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Has a word arrested your attention? Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email us at words at waywardradio.org. And, you know, we have an incredibly active Facebook group where a lot of really bright people are talking about language. Try us there as well. We're talking about what I call my anyway friends, my friends who um, I might not see for years and years, and then I see them and I just start talking with them immediately. You have those kinds of friends yeah, too, like, right? Anyway, and yeah. it could have been a week or a month or years, yeah. and you just, there's no break in the yeah. relationship. And we asked you to uh, share your terms for these kinds of friends, and we heard from Romy Burgraff in Chicago, who writes, My husband Robert uses a darling expression when I'm reunited with my girlfriends now scattered about the country. He says, your friends are like fish. They're fresh when you catch them. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that nice? That's nice. Yeah. She says he's not a fisherman, but I kind of like that, you know? (laughs) I think uh, I've heard of a collective noun for a group of women saying hello. It's called a squeal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Right. We'd love to hear your new language. What do you call it when you see a friend that you haven't seen in a long time and you just instantly reconnect? Maybe there's something new you should teach us. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Mary Poisel, and I live in the Dalles, Oregon. And I have issue with people saying this, that, them, dare, those instead of this, that, them, there, and those. And I was hoping you could give me some input. Um, I don't think it's uh, regional or cultural, because I hear this from a broad range of people on TV programs, on the radio, and popping out of the mouths of people who sound well-educated in the rest of their conversation. It's just driving me crazy. I hope you can help me. Well, Mary, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, do you feel better getting it off your chest? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. good. Well, thanks for calling. <laughs> Glad to help. <laughs> um, you know, let's get to the bottom of this real quick. It is actually regional. It turns out that this is really common in New York City, Philadelphia, all around the Great Lakes, particularly Chicago, New Orleans, and in the speech of African Americans. I mean, we uh-huh. are talking probably at least a third of Americans pronounce the words like these and that as these and that. And some of them don't even know they're doing it. The second thing to tell you is it's incredibly common in Englishes as a whole. We find this in Scotland and Ireland and London because there's this physical cause. Say the word these, and you can feel your tongue vibrating on your teeth. We'll just call it a voice TH, okay? 
And if right. now do D's, and the D sound is on your palate, just a little bit behind your teeth. The difference of where your tongue is is a centimeter or two. It is a micro distance. It's really common for these sounds to alternate and to to swap out for each other. Not only in English, in uh, Spanish. And in tons of other languages as well. So there's like this mechanical reason that somebody might do that. And then you learn that pronunciation from the people around you. And there's another thing happening here, too. We are a country of immigrants, and it turns out that a lot of people who speak languages like Finnish and German, when they try to speak English, it turns out that they probably are going to pronounce words like these and that and them and those as D's and dat and dem and those, just because of the way their mouths are wanting to do Finnish and German, but instead in English, they, it doesn't quite work for them. They bring some of the, the phonetics over from their home language. And, and in English, of course, it's a very permissive language. We can understand them without them getting oh, it exactly yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So there's no laziness here. People aren't necessarily miseducated or uneducated. I mean, you can go to Chicago to an alderman's meeting and hear almost everyone in the room using these sounds because it's ordinary for people from Chicago. Aha. Uh -huh. So I suppose it's been there all along, and I've only just now become aware of it. And I suppose now that I can understand where it's coming from, I can turn a deaf ear. And every time you hear it, it'll be a little hello from Grant and me. <laughs> yeah. All right. It. Picture is waving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly do appreciate your input, and you guys keep up the good work. Thank you, hey, Mary. Mary. Thanks, thanks for calling us. Take care now, all right? You too. Bye-bye. 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 Mary's got a good point. You see it. It pops up. you got a big question. Where do you go for answers? Yep. You go here, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. More stories about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And on the line is our quiz guide, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hi, I'm back John. again. Welcome Hi. back. You got a quiz for us? Something fun? I do have a quiz for you, yes. You know, I was going to do another one of those roundups of recent news stories mm -hmm. in limerick form. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> no way. Not this year. Not, not this the news. Times, no. Not year, the times we've had right? lately. No. Yeah. So instead... Here are the top historical news stories in limerick form. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Let's see how okay. this goes. News stories through history. I'll give you everything but the last word, of course, which you must supply. And, of course, this does include my rather <laughs> limited style of poetry. So here we go. Here's the first one. 
The Senate had thought him too wild, so his abdication was filed. Napoleon then said goodbye to his men, and to Elba the dude was... Exiled. Exiled, <laughs> yes. Nice. That, was in, that was in 1814, by the way. So, so here's the next one. Speaking of exile, while in exile this monarch stayed steady and returned amid cheers and confetti, the nobles said, Mac, we're inviting you back. Thus the return of Ethelred the... Unready. Unready, yes. <laughs> back in 1014. So, By the way, you do learn things here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, pay attention. If you don't know things, you will know things when we're done. Here's the next one. John Smith was obnoxious and pompous, told tall tales of that there's no contest. No romance was played with an Indian maid. It was John Rolfe who wed... Pocahontas. Pocahontas, yes. <laughs> what did you rhyme with pompous contest? Pompous and contest. Pocahontas. <laughs> Got it. Got it. I take, I take liberties. I take all the liberties. <laughs> Here's the next one. Britain's parliament offered their gratitude and a prize of 10,000 pounds magnitude if you'd take a trip on a sailing ship and accurately determine its... Latitude. latitude. Not latitude. What? Attitude. You, no, the other one. Altitude? Longitude. Longitude. Wait, oh, that doesn't longitude. rhyme. Hey, now. That's close that enough. That was a trap. That <laughs> was a trap. Find me one rhyme for longitude. Oh, that was a trap. I didn't read a different I even read that book by David Sobel. <laughs> so did I. Isn't that a great book? Dog. Nice. It's yeah. a wonderful book. Yes. Right. That was 1714, by the way. Here's the next one. By now, Copernicus was finally done, writing Commentalorius, which he had begun, Years before, in this outline, he begins to opine that the center of things is the sun. Sun, yes. That was 1514, by the way. Here's the last one. Here we go. Okay, this is, this is 1914. On St. Patrick's Day of this year, a club in the Bronx gave a cheer. Dr. Tom Curtin came round and debuted to the town the very first pint of green beer. Beer, beer yes. Dr. Tom Curtin debuted green beer in 1914 <laughs> and knew? that's that's the historical story i'm going with that's you wonderful knew. how exciting green beer john thank you for your poetry <laughs> oh, thank you so much you're thanks, welcome thanks john really appreciate okay, it talk to you next you week next week bye-bye and if you want to talk with us about any aspect of language whatsoever call us 877-929-9673 or send your comments and email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, um, this is Melissa calling from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the program. Howdy. So uh, it was the day after Thanksgiving and I was at a leftover Thanksgiving party and um, we were sitting around a fire and the catter got kind of quiet. And so I brought up, um, I said that maybe we should all go around and see what we were thankful for. And so the conversation went on to talk about whether each of us actually does that at our family gatherings. And so I was at my family's uh, table on Thanksgiving Day, and I said, well, um, maybe we should uh, all go around and do that thing where we talk about how grateful we are before we stuff our faces with food. And then my dad proceeded to say, uh, maybe you should stop talking so much and say thanks by eating your food. Oh! Yeah. Dad! So then, yeah, I know, right? So then, we were uh, back by the fire, and I was telling my friends a story, and then I said, I can't believe my family gave me so much flack for trying to express thanks. And then everyone around the fire was like, wait, what? Flack? What? 
And um, either they had never heard the word or never heard it in that context. And so, you know, of course, I was like, of course it's a word. So I pulled out my phone, pulled out my dictionary app, and I started to look it up, and I couldn't find anything that was really relevant. Like, I found um, F-L-A-C-K, which mm-hmm. means a press agent, mm-hmm. and then F-L-A-K, which was, like, some kind of um, military term or something. Uh-huh. So, my question is, um, how did it become a word that means to give grief, and why had my friends never heard it in that context? Are they all your age? Are they? How old are you guys? Uh, we're all between like twenty four and twenty five. Okay. Well, um, you were getting warm. You were in the right neighborhood with the idea of flak being an anti aircraft gun. F L A K. Mm-hmm. It's a word that comes to us from German, German flak, which is this mercifully condensed word. It's actually Fliegerabwehrkanone, which uh, <laughs> is uh, it's a pilot warding off cannon. Is the way it. Um, <laughs> translates. So like a, a flak was an anti-aircraft gun mm-hmm. and um, that eventually became transferred to the stuff flying from it and and uh, then metaphorically to stuff flying at you. So the debris from the mm. weapon being used that might yeah. also um, kill bystanders, mm-hmm. uh, the, the chunks of metal, that actually took the name of flak then from, from mm-hmm. the weapon. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so if you're catching flak at a post-Thanksgiving gathering, you're kind of <laughs> catching pieces of metal from other people there. Yeah. All right. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it does. That's pretty interesting. So I'm surprised that you were catching flack for talking about being thankful. Yeah, well, everyone was just really hungry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, go yeah. back to your friends, educate them all, now you all know, all right? Okay. Thank and they you should so thank much. you for that. Give us a call another time, all right? Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Take, sure thing. Take care now. Bye-bye. 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 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk about language, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Victor from Dallas. Hi, Victor. Welcome to the program. Hey, Victor. What's going on? Well, I had an interesting question about spelling bees. Uh, It seems that spelling bees only exist in English-speaking countries, and I'm wondering why that is. Mm, Good question. Have you been in a spelling bee before, Victor? Uh, yes, in third grade. I think that was the last one. How'd yep. you fare? <laughs> I, I did well in spelling. I, I, I don't recall exactly. Okay. I did, well I did. When you lose, We've talked about this on the show before, but when you lose the school spelling bees, it stays with you for life. Oh, it's so painful. <laughs> but that's a good question. Like English has spelling bees. What do they do in the rest of the world? Not a whole lot in terms of spelling bees per se. It looks like spelling bees are a, uh, a distinctly American creation. It looks like they arose in the 1870s, early 1870s, which sort of makes sense. You know, you're out on the prairie and you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out a way to entertain the folks. And it makes sense that we would have it in English because, of course, English is this complete mess in terms oh, of spelling. You know, I mean, The mutt brought all these spellings in from all these other places. Right. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I mean, it's a language based on Latin and Greek and German and all kinds of different words. So um, it's quite different from, say, Spanish, where um, just about every word sounds like the way it's spelled. There, there are a few exceptions. But, yeah, you um, might have a B and V confusion, but exactly. generally it's really consistent. Exactly. So it's not going to be that, um, that challenging. So in other countries, they have to find other ways to challenge people in terms of words and spelling. I know in French, they have dictation content. Yeah, do you, have you heard of the dictée, Victor? 
I have not. How does that work? Well, French is interesting is that its problem isn't it's so much as English where words are spelled variably. It's fairly consistent. The problem is that a lot of words sound alike. Their homophones are abundant. And so they will have a famous author. They do this in Quebec as well. Mm-hmm. Famous author will write a really nice passage and then read it aloud on the radio or in some other forum. And everyone will do their best to write it exactly, get the accents exactly right, the spelling exactly right, the conjugation of the verbs exactly right. There are verbs in French where even though it might be conjugated a bunch of different ways, um, three of the or four of the conjugations sound the same, even though they're spelled differently. And, and so it's, it's really incredible. And you can walk around with pride if you scored very highly on the deke day. I think I'll stick with spelling speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spelling bees are more just a, a contest of, of memorizing, really. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's odd that we don't see them really in the U.K., they maybe, have them, but maybe they're not nearly as popular, right? Maybe because their spelling is all wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> With all those U's when they're not supposed to be. But um, it's interesting in China, too. I think they have um, contests where you uh, race to look up a word in the dictionary mm-hmm. because they're all different ways that the, that the Chinese words are, are spelled out or written out, rather. So it's sort of like the old sword drills in, in Baptist churches. Yeah, so yeah, so for, for the most part, uh, spelling bees are an English language phenomenon and exist only mainly in the United States. They do exist in Australia and, and the UK, but they're not nearly as popular as they are here. Well, thank you. That's very helpful. I appreciate the insight. Cool. Thanks for calling, Victor. Thanks for calling, Victor. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye. We'd love to hear your language questions. You can call us at 877-929-9673 or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. All right, Grant, do you know what the color of the year is for 2015? For 2015? Yes. I don't know. It's Marsala. Why? <laughs> well, have you heard of the Pantone Color Institute? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I used to have some certain Pantone colors memorized because I needed oh, them for did. my job. Yeah, because logos will be like this particular Pantone color. Okay, very good. Well, they chose Marsala this year, and what they did was um, they pulled designers and creative types, and what they're trying to do is figure out what color represents the global zeitgeist. Okay. Do what does even, it look like? Is I was going to say, reddish... do you even know what Marsala is? Yeah, it's an Indian thing, right? It's no? an Indian type of spice, I think. So but is it, it reddish-brown? Yes, it is, and it's uh, it's actually named for a wine oh. that comes from the west coast of Sicily, and it comes from Marsala, mm-hmm. which is a harbor town, and that term comes from the Arabic, which probably means harbor of God. Oh, there are nice. other possible etymologies for it, but... Uh, Marsala yeah. is the color of the year. Okay. Yeah, so so it's sort of this uh, robust, earthy wine red. Okay. Actually, it's like the shirt you're wearing. You're you're very... Yeah, my guerrera is yeah. working for you, right? <laughs> Perfect. All right. You're Marsala guerrera. <laughs> 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk about language. Or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. And we are all over Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, um, this is Michelle Abramson. I'm calling from Lexington, Massachusetts. Hi, Hi Michelle. Michelle. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What's cooking? Well, um, I got very interested in one of the topics on the Way With Words Facebook page. Um, somebody had put a picture of uh, the thing that you ride around um, in the grocery store with, um, which I have always called a wagon. 
And um, but you write in I, it. You like climb aboard and then like push yourself along. No, no, oh. like the little you know the sh- well shopping cart oh, wagon okay. gotcha. buggy. Okay. Uh, I was I was trying not to say what it was called right. so that you could picture it in your head. Sure, yeah. right. But, um, okay. yeah, somebody posted a picture of it and yeah. said, what do you call this? And there were many, many, oh, many responses, yeah. um, which you probably, I, don't, I think you monitor it, so you probably saw Oh, it. yeah, we read it. We, mm-hmm. we dip in as often yeah. as we can. Um, most people said a shopping cart. Some people said buggy, and they were from the South, mm-hmm, and right. some people from New England um, refer to it as a carriage, sure, yeah. right. um, and it's a trolley in England. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, I got really interested, so I thought, well, let me put this picture on a couple of other Facebook pages that I, you know, my personal things, and, and ask people the same thing, mm-hmm. and, I, and I thought, well, the people that, are defi- uh, that, that I grew up with are definitely going to call it a wagon. And they didn't. They called it, most people called it a shopping cart. A couple of people called it a wagon. Sure enough, I was in the grocery store with my mother. Um, she was visiting over Thanksgiving. And she said, let me just go get a wagon. Ah. <laughs> so that's where I got it. Now, <laughs> my mother's from Mississippi. Oh, she is? Yes. Um, oh. So I said, I, I mean, she, she's lived in, in New York for 60 years or okay. something oh but, on Long Island. Wow. But, mm-hmm. um, culture shock. I said to her, did you ever hear of it called a buggy? And she said, no, I never heard that. It's a wagon and maybe a shopping cart. And it's like, she said, where did that come from? And then I explained this whole thing. And she said, mm-hmm. oh, that's very interesting. So um, I'm just wondering where I got this wagon other than my mother coming up with it, and I'm sure she didn't make it up. So. No, she didn't make it up, but you probably got it from her anyway. And mm-hmm. she's been in New York long enough that she's more far more New York than she is Mississippi. Uh-huh, yeah. Linguistically, I mean, she's probably got just footmarks all over her language that have nothing to do with the South. Oh, there's a lot of them that do, though. Don't ever call it a pecan to her. She'll get Nice. Oh, yeah, what does she say? <laughs> pecan. Oh, pecan, pecan of course. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Pecan yeah. pie. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. There, you know, if you do this survey pretty much anywhere in the United States, it's fun to talk about. Just like you, your, your field work is amazing, Michelle. You did exactly the right thing, mm-hmm. looking for answers there. And professional linguists have done this, or dialectologists have done this and done surveys on this and found, coincidentally enough, that shopping wagon is used in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts with a few little data points here and there, but mainly in that small, tightly controlled region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's completely ordinary that you and your mother would say wagon because you're from that part of the country and you picked it up from maybe it was uh, what was used on the signs in the store or the staff at the store or your neighbors use it or uh, when you go shopping with your aunt or somebody else, they use mm-hmm. it. It's completely ordinary that you should both say shopping wagon. It's but not common it's, still even in New York, though, but it is used no, there more than not, anywhere else. I mean, plenty of people I know from New York don't use it. And no. actually, if you if you go to return your, your shopping cart in yeah. In Massachusetts, where I live now, it's going to say carriage return. Nice. Carriage return? That's I thought that was on carriage. a typewriter. <laughs> carriage is a very, it's like very, very Boston. Yeah, it's there's no, Boston. there's huh. no, um, I mean, there's no like rhyme or reason to the shape of these dialect maps, but we do uh-huh. know if we survey people more than anywhere else, it's in that part of the country. So for what it's mm-hmm. worth, but it's really, it's like less than a percent. Like a fewer people say it than just about anything else that we call a shopping cart. Yeah, it's not very many. And you know, here's an interesting thing. 
this language is spread by the shopping chains. The language they use for the food, the language they use for all of the mechanics of shopping tends to be spread to their customers. So not so I wouldn't be surprised if originally it started with like whatever D'Agostinos used to be in New York or whatever the, the you Yeah, know, it was probably Wallbaums or something Wallbaum. like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Some, some of these chains that are long gone, right? Yeah, yeah. Michelle, we've confirmed <laughs> for you that you're not weird and that you didn't okay. make this up. Well, as far as we know, you seem very nice to us. <laughs> Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> you and, and just know that when you say shopping wagon, it's mm-hmm. ordinary for a lot of people. Own it. Live with it. Love it. Okay. All right. <laughs> thank you so much for calling. Happy shopping. Oh, thank you. Bye, Michelle. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take Bye-bye. Care now. What do you say, Martha? What did you grow up with? Uh, I grew up with shopping cart. Yeah. I remember a few years ago reading an article about the origin of shopping carts. Oh, yeah? And I think they were invented by some guy to get more customers into his store. It was this huge, long article. It was really fascinating. I'll try to find it and post it to the website. That'd be amazing. Mm. And, and you know what's funny? I love talking to people like Michelle about these things because this difference and what we call this device that we all know mm-hmm. still persists, mm-hmm. even though we think that this is a media-heavy country where the common misconception is that we're all going to end up talking alike. The differences are still there, and sometimes they're becoming more pronounced. Yes. It's cool. So what have you heard when you move to someplace new? You've heard a term that you've never heard before that everybody else takes for granted? Call us about it, 877-929-9673, or talk about it in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. There is a new way to be emphatic in English, and this is to say the word yes differently and to spell it differently. You can spell it Y-A-S-S or Y-I-S-S or put a lot more S's and a lot more I's or A's in it. So it's yes or yes like that. Yes. <laughs> Do you use this? I use this. Um, in writing or talking? Either one, whichever's fine. Um, I don't use it in writing, although I've seen it online. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. More stories about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. You know, throughout the year, I share with you and everyone else, Martha, the dribs and drabs of the language that I find in my reading and my word hunting and the slang work that I do when I talk to kids on high school campuses and things like that. But I wanted to give you like kind of a big lump for once. So some stuff that I've been looking at, say, the last year and a half. Okay, all right? a bunch just, of dribs just and Just a few things. Okay. For example, I'm heavily involved in the tech scene, at least mm-hmm. as an observer. I like to read about the latest advances in tech. And I came across a word called the hamburger. The hamburger. The hamburger is short for the hamburger menu. Now, it's more common on Android phones than it is on 
iOS phones. On Wait, Apple. you can order a hamburger no, on the phone? No, no, no. It's an icon of three parallel lines that are identical, stacked on top of each other with kind of a, a rounded corner box. And that is it's the hamburger. Oh, you, the thing right up there in the corner. Yeah, usually the upper left. You click oh, on it, okay. you'll see settings or more navigation options or something like that. Okay. But it looks vaguely like a hyper-stylized hamburger. Oh, Bread with okay. some slices of meat and cheese and tomato, right? Oh, I had no idea. So that's called the hamburger menu. Oh, wow. And so when you look at a word like that, you wonder how long it will last. Mm-hmm. And for this one, we have a pretty good answer. Probably not very long. People will talk about it, but it'll become archaic pretty quick because user interface design changes rapidly. Yeah. In five years, we will only talk about the hamburger menu probably as a thing that was rather than a thing that is. Okay. I didn't know that was what it was called. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. But again, you might only know that if you follow tech closely or follow user interface design closely. Another one is the expression web rooming. W-E-B-R-O-O-M-I-N-G. Web rooming. Now, this is the opposite of showrooming. Now, these might be manufactured terms. By that, I mean that marketing people come up with them in order to try to prove that they're on top of shopping trends and therefore you as a company should invest your money with this marketing firm in order to, you know, figure out what's really happening with consumers. But I'll share it with you anyway. Web rooming is when you are at home on your computer and do tons of research on what you want to buy. Say a new Wi-Fi router or mm-hmm. a new mobile phone mm-hmm. or even just the blouse or shoes, but you don't order it online. You actually go to the store to get it because you oh. want immediate gratification. Even 24-hour delivery isn't enough for you. You want to get it right away. And that's web rooming. Oh, interesting, because there's also the opposite of that, right? right? That's showrooming. Showrooming is when you go, let's say, you want to buy a new television, but you really want to see how it looks, how it, does it feel giant to you? If you are 11 feet away from it, you know, the distance between Mm -hmm. your couch and your console, does it feel big enough? And so you go to Best Buy or wherever, and you look at them, but you don't buy in the store because you know you can get a better price online. And and it will be delivered to your house so you don't have to worry about hauling an 85-pound television out to the car. Exactly. Yeah, I know people who do that with books all the time. So these two terms probably are going to have some legs, but they wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago when online commerce basically didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Neither mm-hmm. one of these things were a thing. So mm-hmm. this is why they've come alive. We have a new concept that needs a new term, and they will persist in the language as long as we do those behaviors. Mm-hmm. Now, another one that's probably more ephemeral, but I love it so much, yeah. is smug shrug. This smug is usually shrug. presented as one word. The smug shrug is an emoticon, but it's a pretty complex one. It's a sh- bunch of characters typed into your text line, into your text field, that look like somebody with a halfway smile, almost like a kind of a wry smile, and their arms out like they're going, oh, well, you know, just do that. You kind of have your hands up, palms facing the sky, head turned the side, and kind of like a, a wry, oh, well, kind oh, of okay. like that. The smug shrug is just kind of thrown in anytime somebody does something that you're like, I don't have a good response to this, or there's nothing I can do about that, or um, I'm just kind of resigned to whatever is taking place. And you throw in this smug shrug emoticon, like, oh, well. I like the word a lot. If you want to talk about any aspect of language whatsoever, smug shrugs or web rooming or anything else, call us 877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Christina. I'm calling from Oakland, California. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the program. Hi, what can we do for you? I have a question um, about something I heard on another podcast I was listening to. And the question is this. A guy was answering a question about why it was difficult for straight men to dress well. That he thought uh, straight guys want to dress better, but they're just afraid that they can't pull it off. 
that they will be accused of getting above their raisin, as they say in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I never heard this before, and I took it to my friends and family who had also never heard it before. I've looked it up and found out that it was above your raising. Mm-hmm. Is that consistent with what you guys know? Yeah, above your yeah. raising, above how uh, you're going beyond how you were raised as a brought up. Right, nothing to do with dried grapes. Right, which is how I originally heard it. Like, is that like, right? You did? <laughs> yeah, because the context, is, the way you described it, the context is a little sparse. It's not altogether clear that he's dropping into this kind of regionalism and going to start using language that is not about fashion and style. Mm-hmm. Right, and not only that, I has it like not made it out to the West Coast at all, or is it just the people that I'm associating with haven't heard this phrase? You're right. You're yeah. right. Are, are all your people basically from California or Oakland or around there? Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's true. We what do we find? We, if you look at the um, all the different uses of it, it's really common in the Carolinas, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Kentucky. Kentucky yeah. Pops up a little bit in yeah. Oklahoma and Arkansas. Yeah. Very much a Southern phrase, and yeah. almost always with that G dropped on raising. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a raisin. Ricky Skaggs popularized it in a song of his, Don't Get Above Your Raisin. So if you don't get above oh. your raisin, it means that you are not acting like you're better than everyone else, that you are mm-hmm. not forgetting where you came from. You'll find this pop-up actually in a lot of songs. Like, you remember the Jennifer Lopez song, Jenny from, I'm Still Jenny from the Block? Oh, yeah, She's right. kind of talking, telling people yeah. in the song that she is not getting above her raisin, mm-hmm. that she is actually still acting like she's one of the, the homegirls from, from the Bronx. Yes. So it's almost always desirable not to be above your raisin. Yeah, because it, exactly. it means that you are rejecting your past and where you come from, and you're rejecting okay. your people. Yeah, or you're a tall poppy. I don't know if you've heard oh, that, yeah. that phrase. I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. You're, That's you're, awesome. Yeah, your poppy blossom is, is up above everybody else's. You see that in Italian, too. Thanks for calling, Christina. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, yeah. Our All pleasure. Right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. If you've got a question about something you heard and just didn't understand, we'll help you sort it out. 877-929-9673. Send an email to words at waywardradio.org or try us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Micah from Texas. Hi, Micah. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. What would you like to talk with us about? Well, I was thinking about the distinction between the words speak and talk. They're kind of interchangeable in meaning, and yet Mm -hmm. they're somehow distinct. We use them in different ways. And I was thinking of that, especially in terms of, uh, like, how would you describe the distinction to the native speaker of a language that uh, only has one word where we have the two? Mm. I was thinking, like, in in Spanish, we have uh, the hablar, and French, they have parler, and uh, that covers um, what we would use that that covers both of those. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. would you... Boy, what a great what, question. Exactly yeah. Well, you're exactly right. They are very, very close in meaning. And um, I would say that there's a kind of subtle distinction between the two of them uh, in that speak is a little bit more formal. And maybe you find that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like you speak out against discrimination or you talk about the speaker of the house, not the talker of the house. Um, you right. wouldn't you wouldn't say speak dirty to me, I, I guess. I mean, <laughs> unless, unless you're, right. I don't know, hot chat for nerds or something. And the other thing is that talk is, is often a word that connotes more of the idea of conversing and exchange rather than being, bi-directional, being spoken two-way, to. Bi-directional, it's two-way, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, would you would yeah. you find that those are the the pretty much the distinctions that you see as well, Micah? Yeah, uh, I think functionally the usage seems to differ in terms of uh, what the formal setting is, mm-hmm. and uh, talk is more of conversation, and speak is more of 
you know, needing to formally communicate something. Uh, yeah. Also, maybe that's based on something more fundamental, which is that talk is directed um, with someone, whereas speaking, you can speak without reference to a listener in particular. Like you speak a language mm-hmm. that doesn't make reference to any particular person who is listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but you talk with someone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of like the difference between talk radio and speak radio. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you want to get really yeah. wonky about this, Micah, I have a book title to recommend. It is truly wonky, but they have discussed in this book the words speak, talk, say, and tell. And the book uh-huh. is called The Scene of Linguistic Action and Its Perspectivization by Speak, Talk, Say, and Tell. I really like the movie better. <laughs> and it's been by Renee Durvin and others, and it's published by John Benjamin. But they have a really great, con- you can just flip to the conclusion, and they have a whole section of the conclusion, which compares the word speak and talk. And some of what you guys have talked about here, it mentions in there, um, they really summarize the particular relationship between speak and talk by explaining that speak is what we use when we focus on the faculty, that is the ability, the the, mm. the thing that happens with the mouth. Mm. And talk is what we use when we're focusing on the performance. It's what we're doing as a human being, if that mm. makes sense. The communication. So the communication. Uh-huh. And uh, again, it's the summary, so you'd have to read the actual section of the book to really get the full gist of it. And confirms what you guys just said, that uh, speak is usually one way and talk is usually two way. All right, sounds good. Well, I do like to nerd out every now and again, so that might be interesting. Cool. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Micah, thanks so much for your call. Really appreciate it. Nice talking with you. All right, thank you. Cheers. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Well, we'd love to talk with you, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. And you know what? We are all over Facebook and Twitter. We asked for examples of workplace jargon, and we got some great stuff from Jill Foreman, who lives in Ventura, California, and works in medicine. She says that uh, in her line of work, the word sign is often used to mean a response to a maneuver that gives the examiner information as to the presence or absence of a condition. For example, if a doctor is looking for Murphy's sign, the doctor is uh, examining a person for upper abdominal pain, and if they happen to kind of catch their breath when they're doing this um, little procedure, then um, just with the hands, then it's a possible indicator of gallbladder disease. But anyway, Jill says that in her line of work, they develop their own whimsical signs. And here are two great ones. One term that they use is suitcase sign. Can you imagine what that is? And this is in the, in the medical field. Yeah, yeah, like at a hospital. Uh, somebody who's going to leave early, check them out, starts uh, out early? You're, you're close. A suitcase sign indicates a patient who's arrived with a fully packed bag, declaring that they just know they need to be admitted, uh. you know, or they want to. <laughs> so someone like Jill might say, hey, Martha, just letting you know that bed eight is showing a positive suitcase sign. <laughs> so this is somebody who really wants to be admitted to the hospital. And then um, the other one is a gown sign. And that means she says that the patient is tired of us or they're scared of a shot or just decides that they don't want to be there anymore and they elope. That's the term they right. use. The person That's elopes, right. and they don't say anything to anybody. It's like ghosting at a party, mm-hmm. right? And then the first sign that they see of the person having left is a, a gown right there on the gurney. So they might say, I don't know where bed one went, but we have a positive gown sign. Nice. Isn't that good yeah, stuff? And the elope is really interesting because it does mean to depart kind of like 
um, in secret. Yeah. So just like the wedding elope, it, it just means to escape from a nursing home or a hospital without the full permission of your caring physicians. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, we'd love to hear the workplace jargon that you've got. The fun stuff, the boring stuff, share it all, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, this is Monica Wallace from uh, Irving, Texas. Hello, Monica. How are you doing? Hi, Monica. Hi. What's going on? What can we help with? Uh, well, uh, my step-grandfather, uh, Raymond Granddaddy Black, he had eight granddaughters, of which I was one, and only one grandson. But he called us all son. He was born in around 1898, and I believe he was born in the northeast area of Texas, around Sulphur Springs, um, where he and my grandmother lived when we were born. And I don't remember him calling us by our names or calling us anything other than son. Anyway, so my question is, where would he have gotten that little ism? <laughs> Monica, how interesting. So he would call you son when he was addressing you directly, or would he introduce yes. you as, this is Monica, my son? No, he would say, uh, thank you, son, you know, when we'd bring him a glass of iced tea, or he'd say, hey, son, go ask your grandma, and, you know, and it followed up with whatever he needed us to do. And he didn't talk a whole lot, but he was a cattle man, cattle man, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just always addressed us as son. You know, it wasn't like, hey, Mike, come over here for a minute. It was like, hey, son, come over here for a minute. Oh, gosh. Is S-O- that wonderful? S-O-N or S-U-N, do you think? S-O-N. Okay. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and he was from Northeast Texas, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I ask because um, there is an entry for this in the Dictionary of American Regional English, and it says that it's especially in North Carolina, this term of address to a female as well as a male. And in fact, there's an entry from uh, a journal in 1946 that describes son as an affectionate term applied to a small boy and sometimes a small girl, usually in times of crisis. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? But but he used it just... Any old time, right? And so, not only is he, exactly. are you not his son? I mean, you're, you're his. You're not only you're not his daughter. You're not his granddaughter. I mean, you're his granddaughter. So, it's, it's right. different in a couple of ways. There's a more modern component to this too, though, right? Son is incredibly common in African American vernacular English to refer oh. to people who aren't your son, and mm-hmm. sometimes women, yeah. and sometimes between women. I've yep. actually seen this mm-hmm. among being used by two Latinas on the subway in New York City mm-hmm. where one of them said to the other, son, that's not how it goes. Mm, and just talking to whatever they were talking about. Uh-huh. But as a term uh-huh. of address, it is still incredibly common, but it's African-American almost exclusively except for, for white folks who've borrowed it from African-American English. Okay. Oh, interesting. And, you know, huh. speaking of African-American English and the word niece, in parts of the country, particularly the South, sometimes the word niece can refer to either a niece or a nephew, or these are my nieces, and it'll be two guys. Huh, interesting. Oh. Yeah. I that one. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes, and well, and in fact, the word girl itself, I mean, back in the 13th or 14th century, mm-hmm. girl could refer to either a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. Wow. But I have not oh. ever heard a real-life example of son used in this way, so I'm thrilled to hear this. Oh, well, I appreciate it. That's great. Well, Monica, thank you so much for your call. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Monica. Take care now. 
Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We can solve your linguistic mysteries, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Have you heard the term black elephant? No. I know pink elephant and white elephant. Yeah, and you know black swan, right? Right. That's like an unexpected or unlikely event that has really big consequences. Yes. Um, Black elephant is something that environmentalists are using that's a combination of black swan and the elephant in the room. That is, it's something that's uh, really big that's going to hit us soon. (laughs) So it's likely to happen and it's going to have huge detrimental impact. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, what is the slang that you use in your field? We'd love to hear about it, 877-929-9673. Tell us about it on Facebook or Twitter as well. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, at waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free. You can also leave us a message anytime, day or night, at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language, or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or in school. You can also email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey and Tamar Wittenberg. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Bye-bye. So long. I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.